welcome to the Accelerator Podcast, covering the church and church planning in the South. Accelerator is a resource of the 242 Network, the church planning arm of the Mississippi Baptist Convention. The 242 Network exists to assess, train, and support church planners. In each podcast, we will interview church planners and pastors around the South to gain knowledge and insight into ministry to further God's kingdom and church. And now, with your host, Ryan Tillman, we welcome you to the Accelerator Podcast. We are in season three of the podcast. Hello and welcome back. I know you haven't gone anywhere. I, I've been on hiatus, I guess. Anyways, Brian Tillman here with another installment of the Accelerator Podcast. I'm coming to you from the back 40 of podcast world, or is it from the one-story tower at the intersection of I-55 and I-69? Either way, I am back at it, and I'm glad that you have decided to join in the fun. Please take a minute to like and review the Accelerator podcast, whether it's on iTunes or Radio Public. Today we begin with Season 3, and to be honest, I believe this is going to be a great one for you pastors and staff members who speak or open God's Word on a regular basis. We're going to be looking at preaching this season. I have lined up a number of guys to just bring it for us this season on the podcast. Today we start the season with Wade Stevens, pastor of Longview Point Baptist Church in Hernando, Mississippi. Wade is a dynamic preacher of God's Word. He sits down with us today and shares some great insights into the preaching moment as well as tools for us preachers to have in our ministry toolboxes. Listeners, you can follow Wade on Twitter at PreacherWade and you can go to longviewpoint.org and listen to messages from Sunday services. Here is my interview with Pastor Wade Stevens. Thank you, listeners, for joining us again on the Accelerator Podcast. Today we begin our third season, and this season we are looking at preaching, sermon prep, sermon delivery. We've got a number of great um, men and great preachers for us uh, this um, year and this season. So uh, today, glad to have Wade Stevens, the pastor of Longview Point Baptist Church in Hernando, Mississippi with us. And uh, Wade, thanks for joining us. Hey, glad to be here. Uh, so let's just uh, kind of start off uh, our conversation today um, uh, as we talk about preaching and just uh, share with our listeners um, what your philosophy of preaching is and how that philosophy molds and affects uh, just individual sermons and, and preaching in general. Brian, it's kind of generic, but I, I really feel that the people of God are best served by the preaching of the Word of God. So um, obviously that would compel me to take an expository approach to preaching. Um, uh, at the same time, it is there's a certain relief and even release that comes with that. I, I don't feel at this point in ministry, about 16 years into preaching ministry, 
uh, the pressure that I think I felt in the early years of ministry, uh, either um, intentionally or unintentionally, I think there can be this impression early on that we're given in preaching ministry that there's a certain level of performance that's expected or required of us. Mm-hmm. I have come to experience that if we just let loose God's word, it, it has the effect God intends it to have in the people. I don't feel like I have to hit a home run or whatever kind of pressure that is uh, that I remember feeling in those early days. Um, I've been at Longview Point now for about two years. I was in uh, one church ministry for 12 years before that. And my experience there was that often it was those less outstanding Sundays, those sleepy Sundays, when there wasn't a strong or apparent response to the preaching of God's word. It was just what I would call an ordinary Sunday mm-hmm. that over the course of time proved to have the, the bigger impact in the life of our church. And I also found that often those Sundays that seemed to be so outstanding where there seemed to be real force and a great response from the people uh, proved to sort of burn out. They were clouds without rain. So I just preach. And my goal now on Sunday morning is, is a really presentation style. Those kinds of things are non-factors for me. My goal is to just explain what this passage says and then how we now live in light of this passage and, and who the God of the Bible is explained as being in the text that is before us. So um, I think um, I would have said probably something along the same lines early on in ministry, but I think serving in the long place for a long time allowed me the ability to see that I really could rest in that confident mm-hmm. that over the course of time, God has his way in the preaching of his word. Come on. Uh what what excites you most about preaching? That's a I, I think this is an interesting question, Brian. Um, because of our just coming out of this pandemic experience, mm-hmm. where so many of us were forced to preach to video cameras to our people, and online services began to take place in churches that uh, could have never imagined that they'd be a part of an online service. I get that there is a back and forth between the preacher and his people. And there's a certain energy that we feed on from our people when we preach on Sunday morning. Like I, I, I probably, um, in terms of preparation there, there's a, I don't spend a great, let me put it this way. I don't spend a great deal of time in preparation on the presentation part of preaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, some of that happens in response to the people. If I sense in that setting, that there's a need to sort of drill down here a little bit. That's a sense that typically derives from the response of the people, right? There is a real back and forth to our preaching on Sunday morning. And lots of guys were just drained by, yep. and it was drudgery preaching to that camera. But I, 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 what kept me going and, and what energized me and excited me through those weeks and I, I wish that this were always the case, but it was just an excitement about the word. I think the thing that excites me most, Brian, about preaching is the opportunity on the Lord's day to share with my people what I have discovered in the past six days in God's word. When you, when you think in those terms, it really doesn't matter if we're preaching to a full congregation or to a video screen. There's reason to be excited. Now, that whole experience is proven I think the futility of online church and online worship, it was 
the only option that we had, not a good option, but the only option that we had. But it ought to be that the preaching of the word excites us greatly, the chance to share the truth that we've discovered in the text of Scripture. Uh, On a regular basis right now at Longview Point, do you preach more than uh, one sermon or um, more than one time a week? Not necessarily on Sunday, but separate. Right, right. I teach, I'm preaching on Sunday morning and, uh, and then on Wednesday nights, most Wednesday nights. Um, it's pretty common, uh, about at least once a month, I'm not teaching on Wednesday night and another staff person or a church plant resident, or even Brian Tillman will come over and help us out and, and fill in for me on that night. That allows me time and opportunity to be involved in some other things that are going on on Wednesday nights. But most weeks, um, I'm preaching at least twice. Um, I, I preach multiple services on Sunday morning, but those two sermons each week I'm preparing. And most of the time, at least one opportunity outside of Longview Point uh, on, on a given week, whether it be in a funeral service or in another church or conference or something along those lines. Uh, but even when I'm doing that, I usually try to limit to preparing two sermons. If you invite me to preach one week, you'll get what my people got on the Sunday before ordinarily. I, I totally uh, get that and, and understand that. And the last time that you had me, uh, you invited me to preach at uh, Longview Point, I told your folks that uh, I was called number 28, I believe, to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to come feel in that uh, Wednesday night. But I love to uh, come over to the point and preach. So enjoy it. Thank you for those opportunities. Um, out of those two sermons that you that you prepare on a weekly basis, uh, time frame wise, how would you say that that you give your prep time to them? So I'll typically spend a full day of the week on Sunday morning. And uh, I mean, you know how it looks in the office. Um, that's a full day with all of the interruptions that come with working out of the office. Um, so there's a, a, a decent sized portion of that time that gets given to just getting around in the office and answering questions and issues that arise throughout the day. But I I try to give a full day to Sunday morning and then I prepare for Wednesday night on Wednesday afternoon. When I come back from lunch, I settle in and study Wednesday evening is my favorite service to preach. I get to come in and sit down and work through all of my stuff and the excitement for what God's word says is building all afternoon. And then I get to go dump it all out with my people in, uh, in that meeting on Wednesday night. So um, I'll take roughly a half a day for Wednesday night, a full day for Sunday morning. A lot of, a lot of, um, I found it to be very helpful in being able to prepare efficiently for Sunday morning by just taking up the next Sunday's text early on Monday, mm-hmm. committing at least the substance of the passage to memory. And then it doesn't matter if I'm making a hospital visit, if I'm sitting in a meeting that has lost my attention or I'm just zoned out and daydreaming, I'm able to give thought to that text and how to present that best and what its implications are for our people. Those those two separate uh, sermons, are they on top of each other, meaning that you're going through the same book at the same time, or are they usually totally separate series or totally separate books that you are preaching, one on Sunday and one on Wednesday? I keep them separate. Brian, because what I have found in myself is if I were just preaching, there was a time in my first pastorate, I would run a single series through Sunday morning and Sunday night. 
And I did that at the time to entice people to be there Sunday night to not, to not miss the next text. And it was effective. Um, but say, for instance, now I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's been rich and refreshing and, and just so good for my soul. And I think our people have enjoyed the series. But if I've got another series going on Wednesday night, it keeps me in an additional text. It, 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 it functions for accountability in my life, for having a, a broader perspective on what the scripture has to say. And it really presses me to read um, more broadly than I would if I was focused in a single series. Uh, Brian, I, I'll, give a, I'll give a plug here with regards to uh, sermon preparation for seminary training. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember wrestling with, in the seminary days, with the question of whether I was being a good steward with the time that I had with my calling, with my gifts. In, in other words, I was spending all this time writing papers and reading books and working through sometimes obscure biblical issues, reading books that in many instances I had judged to never be beneficial for me in ministry. Sure. And I wondered, is this really, would not, would my time better be used preaching and evangelizing rather than staying up all night, reading books and writing endless papers. Mm-hmm. And, and what I've come to realize now and appreciate, and this is just an encouragement to anybody who's in the midst of seminary training In those days, that was time well spent because I was digging wells there that I'm able to draw from now. The reason I'm able to prepare the sermons I'm able to prepare for now in the amount of time I'm able to prepare them is because I'm drawing from the resources and that investment of time from those seminary days. So dig deep and uh, and bear down and and don't feel as though it's time wasted. It's, It's actually a remarkable investment of time that's going to serve me not just now, but for decades until God calls me home. So all you uh, young church planners uh, that are starting out and young guys in the ministry as a whole, uh, there's a a great few nuggets for you to uh, hold on to and uh, dig deep while you are in that uh, formal seminary training uh, time uh, to uh, not let that go to waste. And it also benefits down the road. Great stuff. Thank you, Wade, for that. Um, next question. Uh, what What's your favorite genre of scripture to preach? And what's your least favorite genre to preach? My favorite genre to preach is narrative and specifically Old Testament narrative. I enjoy teaching through New Testament narrative, but Old Testament narrative especially. I, I've been a pastor in Mississippi forever, always in the Bible Belt. All of my preaching ministry has been here outside of mission trips and international missions engagement sure. and those sorts of things. I, I'm, I'm preaching to Christian folk who come from generations of Christian folk. And so there's a high level of familiarity with uh, the biblical narrative. And in many instances, uh, our, I think folks like that can struggle from struggle with familiarity fatigue. They have heard a story so often that it doesn't shock or astonish them the way that it used to. Now, the deal with Old Testament narrative is it's often treated so poorly expositionally that the true teaching of the text can come as a surprise to the people. There's yep. a certain shock about that. Um, I, I, you know, you'll hear, I, you know, I've not considered that. I looked at the text in that light because we tend to treat it allegorically, right? We'll pull some thing or some object from the text and then sort of spin off on that. But when we really look at the narrative 
uh, within the meta narrative of scripture. What is God teaching us? How does this fit in redemptive history? There's some really encouraging insights that come from that. Or, or we see folks preaching a, a narrative and the, uh, the, the hero or the champion of the narrative is the individual and not God behind in that, in that whole story or, or narrative they're, they're preaching david is the hero here and it's really god is the hero in in all those items yeah I, and i think even um brian even even sometimes among preachers who have made a, a rush in recent recent years mm -hmm. to get to a christological interpretation of old testament narrative there's often such haste to get to that place that there's a skipping over um, the, the meaning of that passage in its immediate historical context, which if we investigate far enough, we know will be Christological because yes. Jesus said the scriptures testify of me, mm -hmm. but we sort of stumble over the historical context and the historical meaning of that passage, fearful that we're not going to get to that Christological application. When, if we'll dig deep and do the work there, we'll, we'll arrive at the right place. Yep but we can't be lazy in the process of getting there. We've got to really labor to get to that place. And when we do, the findings of that are really, really exciting. I, I asked you your least favorite genre, and I, that's that's a wrong way to ask the question. What's for you, what's the most difficult genre for you to preach? Yeah, I would cast it that way as well, uh, Brian, because I, I, it's one of the funnest genre to preach and yet one of the most difficult to preach is just is proverbs is wisdom mm -hmm. um because our our typical expositional approach to a passage usually is not going to work for you in the proverbs right sure. like i can remember several years ago I, I preached a series of sermons in proverbs and the way i managed the series was topically I'm not a topical preacher. I have a real distaste for topical preaching, but I know how you manage a series in the book of Proverbs and deal with the full content of the book. So I just went through, I had about six shades of highlighters and just color coded the whole book so that I could move freely on, on specific topics and, and, uh, you know, it was work and, and marriage and uh, faithfulness and infidelity was a single topic um e even money or finances was a single topic not about five or six of those that that in my estimation all the proverbs could sort of fit into wisdom was a broad topic that we looked at but we can't take the same tools that we utilize in a new testament epistle and apply them to proverbs chapter three and and, and come out with a result that's consistent with what the author of proverbs intends for us to glean from that so proverbs are really really hard mostly because they they capture such wisdom in such a pithy way it really doesn't need much improvement upon it, it's it's like it's like a parable parables give us a little more meat to chew on but there's a single topic and when we begin to try to make more of that than what's intended in the text we can't help but do some violence to what god intends to communicate very good way to uh to articulate that thank you for that as well three or four good tools that you use on a regular basis as you prepare um sermons one of one of my one of my favorite resources for old testament sermon preparation is a translation of the old testament by robert alter it's a three volume work and it's just a translation with footnotes 
Alter is a narrative critical scholar. Uh, he's a actually um, a Jewish scholar, uh, but there's some really good insights in the footnotes. It's a different perspective on the text. Mm -hmm. I am not a Hebrew scholar, so it helps me to work through some language stuff without getting bogged down. The challenge to preaching narrative, we we're talking about that a moment ago and how I enjoy preaching the narrative genre. The challenge is you're often dealing with at least chapter length text, if not many chapters yep. in a section, if you're going to really do service to the passage. So being able to move through some of the language issues that, that uh, I mean, if I had to work through two, three chapters in Hebrew in a week to prepare a sermon, that one day of sermon prep would turn into much more than one day. I can guarantee you that, but Alters translation really gives me some access to some of the things that are noteworthy uh, in terms of language there. There's a, a, a not so recent, but still fairly new uh, translation of the Old Testament by John Golden Gay. Um, I'll, I'll tend to go there and, and read and then uh, search the notes on uh, an Alters translation. There's a New Testament commentary series that is kind of when I'm all when it's all done just to make sure I've not missed um, some uh, nuance or perspective in the passage in the New Testament, I'll almost always go to and read. It's just called the New Testament Commentary Series. It's a uh, Simon Kistemacher and, and uh, Kistemacher and Hendrickson. It's just a red bound series that I just stumbled upon a few years ago. Um, if, you're, if you're a MacArthur commentary guy or a MacArthur listener, I often catch MacArthur, I think unintentionally plagiarizing Kistemacher and Hendrickson. Uh, I think it's probably one of those deals where he cited something years ago and then it made its way into a book, but you can find some pretty substantial quotes um, in, in his work that come from that same volume. Um, they're just, a, they're, they're just really, really good resources. Uh, and then from there, I've kind of, I've kind of turned into a single volume guy. I've got different works on different books that I kind of favor. Um, in terms of technology, I'm an accordance guy. Accordance helps me work through uh, language stuff. I, I've, I've never been able to navigate well. Lagos and accordance has proven to be an affordable and, and from my perspective, uh, it, more accessible uh, Bible software program helps me to work through some things there. Those are the go-tos. Those, those are the ones that are a part of most every week's sermon preparation. When, when you get away, those things are, are going to be pulled out on the desk and you're working through that on a weekly basis. Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. Um, any peer to peer or other constructive growth items uh, as part of to help or or to walk with you enhancing prep or delivery these days? Yeah, you know, before I moved a couple of years ago, I, I had a in in my former ministry, we had a, a fairly strong intern program and a pretty good group of preacher boys that I, I worked with from time to time, and uh, we would kind of schedule out preaching and plan preaching together and talk through how to deal with this text or that text. New enough here that I really don't have that established yet, but but I do have faithful preachers who are on the staff that I'm able to share their conversation with and talk about preaching and, Hey, what about this passage? I think probably for me, Brian, most of my conversation is about what this passage means more so than about the presentation or, or style of, of preaching. I, I probably should give more time to, to that than I do. And, and that's probably evident in my style or presentation, but mo most of my conversations are focused on what does this text uh, teach? And then how do we how do we teach? 
I don't, I don't know that it matters what form or expression your peer to peer work takes, mm -hmm. but you gotta have it, man. You just gotta have it. I was in a much smaller community before coming here and uh, had a good network of brother pastors that we could share with and, and talk about preaching with. And I'm, I'm grateful to have some guys around me now that I'm able to meet with even on a daily basis, but you gotta have those things around you. You just do. Um, question for you. I kind of tend to uh, think of, of myself and, and others. I put guys in categories, uh, one of two categories of expository um, preachers. Um, one, a tendency of, of, of preaching with a telescopic view and one preaching of a, of a microscopic view, uh, meaning that uh, hey, this this guy gives a, a larger picture. If he's preaching this text, it's he's gonna he's gonna look at it from a from from a larger view. And then the, another is going to just dive in. And uh, I think it's a lot easier um, with these two in like an epistle. He, he's gonna tell you every word, definition, this, that, and the other. Look at it a very microscopic sense and way. Um, out of those two. Uh, how would you describe yourself? Would you be more of a telescopic or a microscopic? I'm telescopic. I, I, I think I'm more of a telescopic guy and, and almost by conviction, Brian. I, and you're right. Your assessment is right. It's with the epistles that we tend to drill down deeper and, and mm -hmm. move much slower. But think about the composition of the epistles and how they were intended to function in the early church. Paul writes the letter of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. And it's sent there by the hand of a messenger and the responsibility of the messenger is to stand and to read the whole letter to the church. Now think about a letter like first Peter. It, it has all of the letters of the new Testament have uh, rhetorical features. They have features that are uniquely intended for public presentation, for oral reading. There's no passing first Peter around the congregation yeah. and saying, Hey, let's read what Peter had to say and, and, and discuss paragraph one. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I get the need there's depth there that requires of us breaking that letter apart and giving a, a fuller exposition of what is said there week by week. But we also need to be sensitive to the fact that every time we break it, we reduce something of its original intent for uh, for its original audience. And presumably the same could be said uh, for us as well. There's another there's a missional part of that for me as well. Okay. I, I, I want to be careful that I don't give our people the impression that they have the next six years for us to preach through a series in Romans so that they can be equipped to go out and do the work of ministry. Now, now, you know, I'm not, I'm not dissing anybody that takes that approach, that sure. microscopic approach, they, they make it work and that's how God's gifted them. Mm -hmm. And, and on the other side of that, God has gifted their people to receive that well. But I, I want, I want to communicate in the substance of my preaching that there is an urgent call on our life to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And let's, let's move as quickly as we can through as much understanding as we could possibly amass in the time afforded us and make sure we get that into the ears of those around us as well. I, I don't know how I could rest easy at the notion of having taught or preached the whole counsel of God's word, mm -hmm. but to hasten to preach the whole counsel 
of God's word. That's a shift for me from early on in ministry. Uh, It was modeled for me personally, microscopically, and I think that's a good description. Um, my home church pastor, who's a close friend of mine, love him with all my heart. I, I, this, I hope this doesn't, isn't interpreted as a knock in any way, but that's all, that's all I knew. All I knew was microscopic expository preaching. When I was saved, he was preaching through first Peter on Sunday night. And when God called me to ministry and I left that church, he was preaching through first Peter on Sunday night. And my soul was well fed. I was encouraged and refreshed by that. Uh, but over the course of time, I, I just, I, I, I want, I want my people to know the whole of God's word. And the other benefit that he would have had, and maybe some of you have that are listening is you have Sunday school programs and a Sunday morning opportunity and a Sunday night opportunity and a Wednesday night opportunity that in my setting, I just really do not have. Okay. Um, every author, I've, I've uh, done some work in uh, in expository preaching, uh, D-men wise. Every author that I've read, uh, studied through, there is uh, there is their way of figuring out what the text is saying and and what you uh, as the preacher are trying to uh, put together in that sermon. Um, I am a Wayne McDillite from seminary days. He was explain the text, illustrate the point, explain the point, illustrate the point, argue the point and apply the point. And that made up our our sermon. Uh, All the points that were there, you had to do all four of those aspects for every point. Um, Out of that, just those definitions of explaining, illustrating, arguing, or applying the point. What what is the easiest part for you to do in a sermon? And what do you believe is the hardest part for you to to get across to your folks? Explaining the text is the easy part, right? I believe Um, so. And, and then, for some folks, but some folks yeah. might say it not is not. But I I would agree with you that it is. Yeah, to me that's the easy part. That's a just that's just a thus saith the Lord, and and you know you just explain what it says. <laughs> Helping people to make good application of a text is sometimes very challenging, especially now because people are so on edge about so many different things. Mm-hmm. And often for me, Brian, maybe I'm the only guy like this. But the best examples for making application, I can't use because about half the people are going to be mad at me when the sermon is over. Right. Because it's because there can be no mistaking that this is clearly relevant to their experience. Yes. So you, you have to you have to move gently. You want to be seasoned with salt and gracious in your presentation and help people to feel the force of this application without alienating them so much that they won't hear you well at all. I think sometimes um, for me, when I, when I have that sense to go personal application is kind of, uh, you you know, it it kind of keeps from being so abrasive with drawing healthy application. Hey, in my life, this has been my experience. I felt this way. I was gung ho on this issue. And let me tell you how God brought me down and and convicted me. And and even through this passage brought conviction but application has to be, it has to be, it, it must be the hardest part. I also think, you, you know, we do, we don't always do a good job when it comes to preaching Bible doctrine at, 
helping people to see application. Like the reason people in our churches have a disinterest at times in doctrinal preaching, at least, you know, I hear that from time to time, not within my own body, but there are conversations among preachers about disinterest in doctrine is because we don't do a good job at helping them to see why the doctrine itself matters. You look at the New Testament, especially the books of of Paul, the letters of Paul, they're all two-part books, right? You've got doctrine in the front and and practical application in the back. And what you'll notice is that all of the practical application in the back is rooted in the doctrinal foundation that's established in the front. So the reason our people are disinterested in the doctrine of the Trinity, for instance, in being specific and biblical and thorough is because we've often not done a good job, one, of communicating the doctrine of the Trinity, but that's another discussion. Mm -hmm. Two, of helping them to understand the practical implications that the doctrine of the Trinity has in our life. Sometimes that's challenging. And I've, I've at times taken a backward approach to New Testament letters to say, here, here in Ephesians, when Paul is dealing with this matter of disunity, this is why this matter, here's the theological basis for this found back in chapters one and two. Great, great point. Uh, listeners, that's a, a, a great need for all of us to tie that in and uh, help our, our folks that are listening to God's word of saying, uh, yeah, you tell me the truth. But uh, so what? What does that mean for me today and how we can tie those doctrines and that application together for um, for life and for application? So uh, thank you for that. Uh, One more topic and then we'll kind of get you out of here. Talk to uh, talk to myself and talk to our listeners about your calendaring of sermons, whether it's on a quarterly or or yearly basis and maybe how you balance Old Testament and and New Testament um, books and series. Um, I, it's, I don't know that I do calendar a whole lot, Brian, except, except that how long it takes me to deal with the book at hand dictates what the future is going to look like for me. Mm-hmm. There are occasions when I will break from an, ex, uh, an expository series for um, a holiday or something like that. But then there are also occasions when I will not, when I'll just stick with the text at hand. Most most of those I'll, I won't. I'll just stay with the passage and we'll continue to press through. And so I really let the text and the number of weeks it takes me to deal with the text determine uh, how long I'm going to be in a given text. Um, I'll schedule some things around Easter, those sorts of things. Um, and I, I typically like to do a focus on marriage and family in the early part of the summer that lands between Mother's Day and Father's Day. I just think that's such a critical issue. It's the kind of thing that needs to be addressed um, annually. And so I, I will make an exception for that. I, I don't say I've just finished an Old Testament book, so I've got to go New Testament next or vice versa. Um, typically what I'm passionate about, there'll be something that will pique my interest. I am uh, within a few weeks of wrapping up Sermon on the Mount, and the next series for me will be Hebrews here. And uh, so I, you know, typically by about the midway point for me through one series, I need to have a good idea about where I'm headed to begin reading for that next series to be able to start out on a good foot with it. Uh, But probably two books into the New Testament post Hebrews will probably 
probably be looking at something in the Old Testament at that point. So, so let's go. Let's uh, let's go for just a second about uh, your um, Sermon on the Mount series. You didn't do Matthew one through four. You just started in Matthew five, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and no plans at the moment to pick back up in chapter eight somewhere down the line. No, no. And, and part of that was just because I, I'm, I still feel like I'm pretty, I mean, I've been here for two years, but we did have a year long pandemic that's kind of disrupted everybody's life. So in a lot of ways, I still feel like the new kid on the block. And I didn't want to lock into a series that would be as lengthy as 28 chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. Yep. A big factor for in, in uh, selecting the Sermon on the Mount to preach through in, uh, in, in 2020 our staff memorized the Sermon on the Mount together and uh, we, we would recite Sermon on the Mount in each week's staff meeting and, and work through that. So it was fresh and I had it committed to memory and it just seemed a logical step. And it's so incredibly practical, man. It's so, it, it was, it was good for us as a team. It's good for my soul individually talking about that together as a staff and, and uh, within the body has been really, really refreshing. Just a, a quick note for resources on the Sermon on the Mount. If you've never read Lloyd-Jones' work in the Sermon on the Mount, it reads devotionally, man. It, it's it's the best work there is out there. Um, so it just seemed like a logical place to go for us. Um, Hebrews is a favorite of mine. And uh, if I'm going to settle into a lengthy series, that's a good place to go to celebrate the superiority of Christ over all things. So we'll go there next. But it's a it's a month by month or um, several months by several months or even year by year decision. Okay. Uh, I close out a podcast with uh, what I call the faves, uh, five or six rapid fire questions uh, for you to uh, just let our listeners um, get to see a different side of Wade Stevens. So uh, uh, here we go. Um, what's the most impactful book that uh, you've, read in the last couple of years? Probably in the last couple of years, gentle and lowly. Um, it's that's, there are very few books that I'll, that I will read again. Mm -hmm. that, that's one that I would, I would read over and over. Uh, very, very good, a book and a, uh, made me think of, uh, of Christ in a different way of how he looks at me. And uh, so thankful for Ortland's uh, view on that and just how he wrote. So Absolutely. very thankful about that one. Uh, favorite book in the Bible. And I probably know as a preacher, it's whichever one you're preaching through, but uh, favorite book in the Bible. Hmm. Favorite book in the Bible. Favorite book in the Bible. Um, it, you know, it is the week to week. What my favorite verse is the one I'm preaching on the week to come. Yep. Really enjoy First uh, Peter. There's some really cool stuff happening there with some um, intertestamental references, Second Temple Judaism references there, Enix, some weird stuff that I think is happening in the background of First Peter that makes it kind of fun and exciting. I I, I really I really like the Gospel of Mark. Mm -hmm. Mark's like the, the of the Gospels. Mark is the action movie, right? Yeah. And, uh, immediately, I, I immediately, immediately. Yeah. One thing after the next. Yeah. And uh, so it'd be a close race between those two. Okay. Uh, favorite sports team? Favorite sports team? Any team um, in maroon and white that says Mississippi State on the front. Um, I, I knew big, that one was coming. Uh, favorite favorite, favorite State. movie? Favorite movie? Favorite movie? Favorite movie, favorite movie. 
Hmm. Favorite movie. I don't know that I have a favorite movie, Brian. I'm not okay. That's all good. Um, uh, I can go favorite TV show on you. How about that? All right. Favorite TV show. Andy Griffith show. Best show of all time. Hands down. Love some Mayberry. There we go. Favorite character in Andy Griffith. Ernest T. Bass. I love some Ernest T. Here's, here's an Andy Griffith trivia for you. Ernest T. Bass was the producer of the Andy Griffith show. I would never have guessed that. Learn something new every day. There, yes, I do. Um, favorite vacation spot for the Stevens family? Anywhere warm with a beach and an ocean. All right, so we're an ocean beach family. Um, got that. And if uh, Wade could do anything for a day, that you could be anywhere in the world doing this, any place for a day, what's the activity that Wade Stevens is going to be doing? Ooh, anywhere for a day, any activity. Big, big game hunting in Africa. All right. There you go, listeners. Uh, Wade Stevens is a big game hunter. And uh, Wade, where can uh, folks find you? Are you anywhere on social media? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Preacher Wade, uh, Facebook under my name, Wade Stevens. Um, you can find our teaching and preaching resources at longviewpoint.org. All right. I will put those in the description for this episode. Thank you very much, Wade Stevens. Appreciate uh, what you are doing and what God's doing in and through you over at The Point. Thanks, Brian. Talk to you soon, listeners. We hope that you've been encouraged by today's podcast. For more information on church planning, visit the 242 Network on the web. 242network.com